Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for Grief Recovery Now. So thrilled you're here today. Grateful beyond measure. And this is a special podcast today, and I can't wait to get into it with our guests. But of course, first, I just want to just remind you, whether you're listening for yourself and after the podcast, you refer it to someone, this is a come as you are podcast. It's called Grief Recovery Now. And when I say now, I mean, this is the time. If you're here, there are no mistakes. If you feel the call to share it with someone, no mistakes, please follow through with it. I feel there's this movement in this, how can I say, myths about grief or what is grief? And that's what we want to smash because grief is unique for everyone. And I was thinking the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine, very good friend in Chicago. As a lot of you know, I'm from Chicago and I live in West Los Angeles now. And he called me, he said, I just lost my father a month ago. And two weeks ago, lost his father's wife that he was very close to. And then that week through everything of his father's wife dying, his sister gets in a horrific car accident. So he's telling me about it. And I was like, oh, my God, Scott, my heart is with you. Let's talk about it. So he starts talking about how he's helping his sister, Lisa. He's helping his other sister. He's helping his mother, who was married to his father. They were divorced. And I asked him, I said, are you doing anything for you? I said, I know that you're talking to everyone. Tell me about you. So anyways, we started talking. But he calls me back. We hang up. And then he calls me back. He goes, I want to thank you for asking me about me. And he goes, I've been thinking, I'm not feeling grief right now. I don't know what I'm feeling. I'm not crying. I'm not, I don't know where I am. I feel like I'm in busy. I'm busy helping everyone. So thank you for reminding me to take care of me. I don't know where I'm at, Charlene. I don't know. And I don't think if things are, what's going to happen in the future. But right now I'm doing what I can. He's talking to people, which is very healthy. By the way, there's a myth that grieving should be done alone. This one man said when his grandfather died, the mother was in the kitchen crying and he wanted to help his mother. And the father said, let her be alone. So they never got to share the grief. And so if you feel like you have to do it alone, that is a myth. I'm not saying there's not times where you feel a little, you need to be on your own a little bit, but don't make it the all or nothing of the grieving. Also, grief is very unique. There's a Ellen Kubler-Ross, 
who wrote a book on death and dying, she talked about the stages of grief, like guilt, anger, denial, and all that. Sure, we'll have those feelings or things come up. But later in her life, she realized that that was not accurate. My impression was the ones who were dying had maybe had those levels of grief or those stages of grief. It's not the griever. Grieving is as unique as your fingerprint. We all go through different stages. And when Scott said he wasn't feeling anything, it brought me back to when my dad died. And I was young. I was 16 years old. We had friends. I was into my friends. I don't, you know, I knew my dad died. I was sad. It was all that. But somebody started gossiping about my sisters and I that we didn't show grief. They didn't see us crying. So they judged us on not crying in front of us. I didn't realize how hurt I was. I knew during that time it like hit like a sucker punch and hit me at the back of the knees at the same time. I was so full of shame because I felt I wasn't grieving correctly. And as young, I couldn't reason things out. I took that judgment on. And I couldn't force myself to be something they wanted to be and what they wanted to see. So I didn't, you know, I just was with it. And now years and years later, decades later, actually, now I'm understanding it more and more. So if you can relate to any of this, whether you're not feeling anything yet, it's been just recent or long ago, please honor your grief, whatever it may look like, and just be open to whatever. And a lot of times we're in our intellectual. Grief is not intellectual. What I want to help people with is go down to your heart. Grief is heartbreaking. I want to help you go through a heart breakthrough. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm on this path for you. So that's my thought for the day. So let's get on to our guest portion of the podcast of Grief Recovery Now. Welcome, Trish. Glad you're here today. Thanks, honey. It's so good to be here. Great to see you and hear you. Thanks. And I'm going to tell a little bit about you. So Tricia Nelson lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. Tricia has spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. Tricia is an emotional eating expert and the author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. She also certifies health coaches so they can get better results, referrals, and revenue by helping their clients overcome emotional eating. Trisha is the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show. She is a well-respected speaker and has been featured on numerous media outlets such as NBC, CBS, KTLA, Fox, and Discovery Health. She is an extraordinary woman. I saw her now that COVID is, um, we're opening up after the COVID pandemic, even though things are still going on. I was at the movies, saw her, knew her for years, haven't, haven't seen her. All of a sudden I walk out that movie theater after I say hello to her, I get in my car, all of a sudden it says, have Trisha on your show, eating. We never talked about grief and eating. So this is an important subject. I know myself for emotional eating I am there, and this is something I have to look at. How do I get to that next level with the emotional eating? I saw her. I said, I'm afraid to do your work because she has a 30-day no sugar or, you know, quitting sugar for life. And 
I told her I was afraid <laughs> and I still am. So I'm going to learn something today, and I hope you do too. So, Tricia, welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And just FYI, it's a five-day quit sugar challenge oh. is what I have. So it's only five days. And you'd be surprised because when you have good alternatives, quitting sugar is not so hard. But that's a whole other topic. Yes. And I can see in the grief space where I myself, even today, I mean, grief is just not about death. It's about losses sure. or even COVID. NBC, which I've told mentioned a lot of times on this podcast, said the next pandemic will be grief. I'm here to educate you on what grief is in case you're wondering what's going on. I can't seem to figure it out. I'm going to help you figure it out and not figure it out at the same time and just know it out. So Trisha, as you know, we talked before the episode. So it's like what it was like, what happened, what it's like today. And personally, of course, you'll share with that. I shared a little bit just now, but also professionally. I love to get people like you, professionals who are in it to win it for their clients. Thank you, sweetie. I, yeah, I mean, I grew up totally obsessed with food. I love to eat. I love to eat. I love to cook. I love to serve food to other people, go out to restaurants. <laughs> it was just like a big highlight for me. And there's nothing wrong with that side of it. But the problem is I gained weight really easily. So, and I was drawn to ooey gooey, chewy foods and super carby foods. And so I gained weight. And by age 20, I was 50 pounds overweight. And it's not something I could just shrug off. I mean, I was obsessed with my weight and I was, I hated it. And I had this roll in my tummy that I would scrunch up in my hands. And I'd imagine, you know how you can cut fat off the side of a steak, you know, when you grill a steak, I'm like, well, this is just fat. This, this roll in my, my hands. And I thought maybe I'll just cut it, like slice it off and just fat after all. So thank God I didn't try that, but I had all kinds of crazy thoughts about how to lose weight you know, joining the army or they'd force me to go to boot camp or getting a disease or automatically I lost weight without trying. So it was kind of crazy, but that's really indicative of how powerless I felt to be able to control my weight. So, you know, I'd go on a diet, you know, I diet, I lose weight, then I'd gain it back again. Um, I was a yo-yo dieter. So I'd gain 30, then lose 20, then gain 10 and lose five and then go back up. I and it was just, I was all over the map and I had like five different sizes of jeans in my closet. Cause I never knew what size I was going to be. So I was always holding out hope to reach those skinny jeans. <laughs> so, um, that's kind of how it went for me. And I'll tell you, Charlene, I just got to a point where I tried so many different things and pills and potions and lotions. And then I went to eating disorders therapy for a year for twice, like twice a week. I went to 12 step programs. I did a lot of self-help books, all kinds of things, trying to figure myself out, but nothing I tried really helped me have lasting weight loss. And so that's, was so frustrating to me. And by the grace of God, I met somebody who showed me how to climb out of that hell I was in, you know, that constant roller coaster ride. And that changed everything for me. And I was able to keep like finally keep the weight off and live without the obsession with food, which so long as I was obsessed with food, I was always going to end up eating. So it really changed everything for me. And that was about 32 years ago. So my life since then had, I loved what he did for me and how he guided me and mentored me 
And so I joined him in helping other people. And so we worked together for decades in helping other people heal the underlying causes, like really dig into the root causes of many different kinds of issues. But about four years ago, I started Heal Your Hunger to help people overcome emotional eating. Because to me, anybody who struggles with food and weight chronically is probably an emotional eater. And unless and until they address that and the, and the causes of that, weight loss is going to be elusive. And so I developed a system based on what I did to heal, what I was taught and what I practiced all these years. I, I kind of codified it, put it in a step-by-step plan. And that's really what I teach people in my programs. And it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, it, it works like a charm. So it's been really exciting and fun. And um, yes, being a business owner and, and having my own gig um, has been wonderful as well. And I'm just, you know, I wake up happy every day because I get to do what I love and do it with really sweet people and, and be creative and productive. And, and my life is, I mean, honestly, it's never been better. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Now, when we, you talked about the causes. Yeah. What are the causes? Like I know myself when I'm emotionally eating, it means I'm numbing something. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deal with life on life's terms. Can you talk about the free space? You talked about, you told me about a story when you were younger, something you observed. Can you talk about a woman lost? Yes. So I grew up in the Northeast and I, um, I remember a woman down the road who was, uh, I used to deliver newspapers. And so I think I delivered her newspaper and one day her husband was out jogging in the wee hours of the morning, you know, it's still kind of dark and he was struck by a car and hit and run accident and he died. And she had children like high school age children. And she proceeded, you know, in her grief, she proceeded to pack on a lot of weight and she went from a normal sized woman to a very, very obese woman and remained that way. As far as I ever knew her for the rest of her life, she carried at least a hundred extra pounds, if not more. But I remember just watching it happen. And I was a kid. I mean, I was probably seventh or eighth grade, but I remember it was very obvious probably to everyone that that's grief, you know, like, or that's maybe not grief. That's a response or a reaction to grief. And so it just left an impression on me. And that was, that was true for me. I mean, I responded, reacted to my grief and pain with food as well. So I was no different from her. I mean, I didn't end up gaining as much weight as she did, but I could have, if I'd kept going, I could have. And through the years of doing the work that I do, I've identified three primary emotions that really drive emotional eating. And I want to share that because it might be a good place for people to start because people oftentimes don't relate to emotional eating. Like they're like, I'm not an emotional eater or whatever, or they think that emotional eaters just are bingers, or they think that emotional eaters have to be overweight. And that's not true. You talk about busting myths. It's a myth that you have to be overweight to be an emotional eater. You don't, and you don't have to be a binger to be an emotional eater. You can just eat large quantities of food or more than your body needs. So what I like to do is give people this little instructive, which is called the PEP test. And PEP is an acronym. And it stands for the three primary ways that we use any addiction, honestly. I mean, it works. I mean, this this PEP test can work for anything because oftentimes with addiction, we know what it's doing to us. Like we know the ways it's eroding our lives or causing stress and pain and trouble, hardship in some way, but we don't think about what it's doing for us. And so the PEP test kind of 
helps kind of outline in the way, wh- why we use the things what you, we use in this case, food and how it's serving us. So P stand, the first P stands for painkiller. So I used food as a painkiller, just like this woman did. She had emotional pain. Her husband like up and died one day. Her life was forever altered. Single mother, you know, uh, had to go back to work I mean, the whole thing. And so she responded to that pain by burying it, anesthetizing it with food. So food is an amazing painkiller. And this is why we're drawn typically, if we struggle with food and weight, you know, we're not really overeating on salads, usually in our carrot sticks, it's usually carbs, fat, sugar, as I said, ooey gooey, chewy foods, that's what we're drawn to. Because those are the foods that deaden our pain. You know, carbs are heavy, and they they put a blanket over everything. So we feel no pain. It not, it's very good at numbing those foods. So that's why we're drawn to them. So that's the first P in PEP. The E in PEP stands for escape. So we use food as a form of escape. In my experiences, people who overeat, they tend to be actually really responsible in a lot of ways, like carry, carry the burden on their shoulders. Typically, you'll have an emotional eater married to an alcoholic, not that an alcoholic can't be an overeater also, but I just mean oftentimes an alcoholic who's out there drinking can be very irresponsible and make messes. And then you have somebody at home who's an overeater who's cleaning up the messes, right? The good codependent. So the thing is that I know for myself, and I'm an alcoholic and an overeater, but my experience is that I was super responsible in a lot of ways and kind of like the shoulder for people to cry on and just so good. Like I was such a goody two shoes when I wasn't drinking. And, and the thing is that you get kind of sick of it. You get tired of being so good and you just want to numb out, you know, and also I find that people who overeat tend to have a lot of fear more so than other addictions. And, um, I had a lot of fear and I worried a lot. So the E in escape really stands for food, helping us to get away from our heads and just sort of taking a break from our Uber responsibility and our worry, our heaviness. And then the third P or the third letter, which is P also in PEP stands for punishment. And my experience is that we use food as a form of punishment because of feelings and guilt that we have not addressed. It doesn't, this is a little more counterintuitive because we think of food as a reward, like, oh, donuts or cookies or cake or whatever. And we think of it as fun and celebratory. But if you ate the way I ate, which is I, I would go overboard on many occasions and feel totally sick. And then I'd become antisocial where I didn't want to see anybody. I'd cancel my lunch with friends or whatever, do a little sheet therapy. It's like, why was I doing that? Why was I beating myself with, up with food that way? Like what's going on there? So food can be an amazing form of punishment where it starts out as a reward, but at the end of the night, it's really a form of punishment. And when I don't fit into my jeans and I'm hating on my body, that's, it begs the question, like, why would I do that to myself? Like, nobody's making me do that. Why would I do that to myself? And I, my experience is we have deep seated guilt. You know, we feel bad about a lot of things. Overeaters are overfeelers and we feel bad about everything. So these are some of the underlying reasons kind of, this is sort of a simplistic version, but it's a good place to start. So PEP, again, to re, you know, just to recap, PEP stands for painkiller, escape, and punishment. 
So these are three ways that we use addictions, and in this case, food, because it works like it works in the moment. And so if somebody's thinking, oh, I just like food, I'm not an emotional eater, you can't hear this information, you can't unhear it. <laughs> okay, so next time, you know, of an evening when you're opening a refrigerator like five times, like ask yourself, what's, what's going on? Like, is there something I'm feeling that I don't want to feel? Is there something going on there that I'm just trying to get away from that I just want to check out from? Or was there a conversation or an action I took that I didn't clean up that I'm, I'm, I'm now kind of meeting my own punishment about? Right. And that can help people start to look a little deeper. I can see that. I, I can relate to it. I'm, we're all different levels. I know myself when I love tortilla chips, those thin, crispy, you call it gooey, oh, gooey, God. I was like, yeah, crunchy, crunchy, crunchy. That's my yeah, oh, tortilla chips are the worst. <laughs> They're I so addictive. Say, I can go and say, I'm taking a handful of tortillas. That's it. I'll go and watch my TV show. I'm done. And I get up and get another at least three times. And yeah. I go, oh my God. But you know what you're talking about reminds me of my grief recovery work as a grief recovery specialist. We have a thing called short stirbs, short-term energy relieving behaviors. And I also okay. have long-term energy relieving behaviors. I know myself mm-hmm. when I'm busy that day, all of a sudden, oh my God, this little escape with the crunchy tortillas. What is it that I don't want to feel into my reality show or Bachelor Bachelorette I'm watching <laughs> and I'm eating and afterwards I feel guilty. That's where that mm. short term, even though I may do it multiple times long-term, but that short-term relieving energy behaviors. And the feelings, if I'm feeling guilty, if I'm feeling unresolved, the shoulda, coulda, woulda of the day, or even just something long, you know, chronically grieving underneath that you're so used to it or sadness or whatever you're going through, trauma, the PTSD, my work works with that too. So I thought of that. And then I thought about your, the woman who lost her husband and gained a significant amount of weight. I wanted to ask you, what was her personality like? Was she outgoing? Was she, did she change afterwards or was she the same? I don't really remember. I remember her as not a very outgoing person, period. So I don't think before or after. And the reason why I bring that up is sometimes where we're in our grief or our sadness or unresolved issues or incompleteness, there's an Academy Award. She may have been, you know, outgoing jokester and all that. And I know my mom was like that jokester and stuff, but you know, she gained some weight and I know there was an eating thing going and there's the Academy Award where I'm sure about binging and anorexia, this is all done in private where there's maybe so different in the outer world. Can you talk about that? Like, do you experience that with the over emotional eaters and? Oh, absolutely. It's a really very much a secretive condition. I used to bend. I was a binger for sure. When I was just sick of everything, I couldn't wait to buy my favorite binge foods and sit in front of the TV and have ice cream and brownies and chips. You have to have salty with your sweet. So I would have this, this food, you know, a few chocolate bars, whatever. And I wouldn't plan on eating everything, but I would, I would do a pretty good job of eating a lot of it. Cause I just, once I started, I, I just kept going back for more cereal, this kind of thing, toast, you know, cinnamon toast, whatever. So I'd feel sick. And then I would get to the point where I was so stuffed. I tried to be bulimic, by the way. I tried to throw it up. And I heard about that at some point in high school and didn't work for me. 
which I'm grateful for, but I'd feel really sick. And then I would feel disgusted by the food that I'd eaten. And I would swear to myself, I would never eat that food, that kind of food again, because it was no longer a great memory. And so I'd throw it all out. Like in, in this rash of disgust, I would throw the remains out and maybe pass out on the couch or go to sleep or whatever. But later I, when I'd wake up, I wouldn't be as full. So I'd, I'd have di- digested some food. And then I'd remember that there were some cookies left and they were in the trash. So I'd literally go and retrieve them and eat them. Cause I just couldn't leave anything uneaten. And so I ended up eating it. And then I was like, Oh my God, like I just ate food from the trash. That is totally disgusting. And I, and I have to tell you that I did this and then I learned other people did this too. And they had different, I would kind of compare stories with people. And I ended up doing a YouTube video like 10 years ago, a long time ago. And, um, and I did, I called it my garbage eating video and I did it and I came out a couple of different times, but I had over 60,000 views on this topic because I clearly wasn't the only one who has, who has done this. So the point is, when you do shameful things around food and weight, also things to get rid of the weight, you feel like you're the only one in the world. Like you you feel like you're the only one who's done this shameful thing. And lo and behold, there's thousands upon thousands of people who have done it too. And from countries you've never even heard of. I mean, I have I have people contacting me from countries I didn't even know existed who have the exact same problem I had. So it's such a common issue but part of it is believing we're the only ones and the shame of that really perpetuates the behavior. So it's a very secretive, shameful thing. And that's why, you know, all my programs are in group, mostly group programs, because it's so healing for people to realize, oh my God, they have that problem too. Like they've done the same crazy things I've done. And that helps so, so much, you know, it's not the whole, it's not the whole solution, but it definitely makes it easier to stop beating yourself up. Yes. And we feel, well, I'm sure, I don't care if you, you, you're bulimic, anorexic or whatever, or it's situational. It's like alcoholism or non-alcoholism. You can have a span of time, you're full of grief and you're drinking and you weren't drinking before and all of a sudden, or you're eating more or you're, you broke to that other side of heavy addiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to do? They haven't taken your course yet because all of Trisha's links are going to be on our notes in the podcast. So please check her out. If anything interests you, I know it interests me. I know one day I'm going to do that. Now it's five days. It sounds better (laughs) to me. And anything you can say, should someone be writing like, oh, I'm eating at this time. Do you have any suggestions before they take a course or read your book? Um, I mean, a food journal journal is a good thing just to kind of open your eyes. Like, like nobody ever thinks they're eating as much as they are. So it's not a bad thing. I don't recommend it in my programs or anything necessarily, but it's definitely a deeper issue. And so it's really important to know that it's not about the food. So I'd, I'd say my first message is just know that it's not about the food and even make that your mantra. It's not about the food mm-hmm. because we're so used to making it about the food and the weight, and like we go online and we're looking for the right diet. Like we feel desperate. We're not fitting in our jeans. We're like, oh, to go on a diet to lose this weight. And we, we're in that kind of frenzied place where we just want to find a diet. And that's, that's that quick fix mentality. And the thing is, is how many of you been on in the past? Like, it's like, count them up. Like it's, it's not going to work. Like 98% of all diets fail. That is not a solution. 
Why? Well, for so many reasons. For one thing, when you go on a diet, you have to come off the diet. So and that's usually what, what's a problem. You do it for a little while or you do intermittent fasting for a while, but then you have to eat and live in the world. And sometimes you can get tripped up that way. But also it's really important to know that's not about the food because you know, it, there is a deeper driver and we have to figure out that what that is. A lot of people think it's one thing like, oh, I know why it's because my dad died when I was 16 or, you know, or whatever. My, my sister was mentally ill or so-and-so sexually abused me. And while these are all massive points of trauma that definitely created adverse childhood experiences that created addictions or addictive behaviors, my experience is it's a, it's a, it's a deeper web than that. Cause when we have trauma as children, we then create coping mechanisms to get through that as children, food being one of them, alcohol and drugs being another, but also just ways of being. And if we don't examine those ways of being that worked as a kid, but then out, outlived their welcome, outstayed their welcome as adults and became dysfunctional ways of being, case in point, people pleasing. So emotional eaters are consummate people pleasers, like always looking for validation, always looking for the, those added girls. And the thing is that worked as a kid. If you have a raging parent who's alcoholic, yeah, you better be a people pleaser. You better say exactly what needs to be said. So you don't get your ass whooped, you know? And so it works then, but being a people pleaser as an adult has some problems because we knock ourselves out trying to please people, trying to get that validation from outside of us because we don't have it for us ourselves on the inside. So we're always scanning the room, always looking for who can give us approval. We're taking on extra projects at work. We're going the extra mile for our kids' soccer team, doing all these things to try to get that validation. But then the problem is nobody's ever as pleased as we plan on them being, <laughs> if they notice at all. And then we're resentful. And I always say that's the perfect prescription for the I deserve it binge. Like I knocked myself out. I exhausted my adrenals. And I barely got to thank you. Screw them. I'm going to reward myself. And then we go and console ourselves with food. And so that's a typical example of how it's not really a food problem or an eating problem. It's really a living problem. Yes. And if we don't address those personality traits and there's not, again, the trauma spawns a whole bunch of them. If we don't address those, we're basically going to always be on this hamster wheel of yo-yo dieting and trying to get a hold of the food, not realizing it's never going to get us where we need to go. We need to change how we're living. Right. I remember that saying, it's not what you're eating. It's what's eating you. I never That's forgot right. That. That's right. And yeah, it was a good one. The title of the book is great. Um, let me ask you, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I was thinking yeah. when we're so, we have so much certainty while we're eating, like crunch, crunch, crunch. I feel good for the moment. And there's a sense of certainty. It's in your cupboard. You know, it's all there. You can buy it at the store. You could do it all this. But then you do something with you and going oh, going into that uncertainty, going over that bridge of uncertainty, from certainty to uncertainty. I know sometimes you say, just do it. Any, you know, what, how can you encourage someone? Because I think what you're doing, I know it's a, it's a type of movement. We hear about movements all the time, but I tell you, you're onto something. And I know it's worldwide right now. It's like, how would you suggest someone to get in touch with you through my sure. links? Anything good going on in the next month or two? Because we'll probably do this, I would say, in about three weeks. It'll yeah. Be 
anything coming up, any workshops? Well, I'd say, I mean, what I love to offer people is my quit sugar challenge that you mentioned. And it's five days. It's super fun. But I mean, sugar is not my main thing. Emotional eating is, but I find that people who are emotional eaters tend to be sugar addicts as well. And just addressing that can make a huge difference and, or at least get somebody started. Plus it just helps them kind of get to know me a little bit. So I teach five classes, one, one class a day for roughly an hour to 90, 90 minutes. And we just, we look at where sugar's hiding in your cupboards, you know, and what foods, even health foods have sugar in it because sugar is like one of the most addictive substances there is. It's proven to be more addictive than heroin. So it's like, you're trying to lose weight. You're trying to uh, get on a healthy path, but if you're actually eating hidden sugars that you don't even know about, it's sucking you in and making you crave. And that's very hard to say no to. So the quit sugar challenge is super fun. It's super inexpensive and basic. I mean, it's under $30 and you get five classes. And so I, that's what I recommend people do to start. And you can go to quit sugarchallenge.com, quit sugarchallenge.com to register. So that's super fun. I do it quarterly. So that's a great way to get started. My book is also super helpful. Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps and Emotional Eating. Now I even did it on Audible. So you can listen in five and a half hours. You can just inhale the book. (laughs) Um, And then my podcast is a nice way. If people are listening, they're probably used to podcasts. It's a nice way. I get really personal and I talk about my life on my podcast because I'm still an emotional eater. I'm not cured. So I just see a lot of parallels, you know, with things that I go through in my life, emotions, because I talk a lot about emotions, you know, in emotional healing, which I think anybody listening might relate to because really we eat because we don't want to feel and we don't really have the tools for addressing our feelings that are healthy tools. And so that's a lot of what I teach are healthy tools. Like you can't just stop eating your favorite foods because then there's this big void. It's like this big vacuum. It's like, what are you going to fill that vacuum with? So you have to have a whole new set of tools. That's why people go back to eating after they've been dieting for a couple of weeks. I mean, when you first go on a diet, you're like, Wahoo, I'm doing great. I'm working out, look, you know, looking good, feeling good. But after a couple of weeks, you're just like, this is so hard. Like all I want is a hot fudge sundae, you know, and it's because food's your main way of coping. And if you haven't created new coping skills, you're going to be really missing your food. So that's why it's really important to have these tools. And so I talk a lot about that on my podcast. And so any of these ways I think could be Instagram. I I do a lot of Instagram posting. Um, That's Trisha Nelson underscore underscores at the end of Nelson. So I'm happy to support people, you know, and, and just provide ways for people to have those ahas. I think it's a great place to start. And then if somebody needs more formalized, structured help, accountability and coaching, of course, my programs are great for that. And it really produces, it really speeds up people's results and gives people a whole new way of relating to food that's transformational. That's awesome. You know what I love when I see your work when on social media and all that? It's like you do it in joy. Mm, you know, I see you. you doing certain things. It's not like you're glum. No, <laughs> you know, you're an outpicturing of the work you've done and what you, your mission in life and you're Thank just you. sure-footed coach. And what I love, it sounds like the five day sugar program, which is, I'm going to talk about that a little, because that's a great start for someone, yeah. whether like myself, I, am I addicted to food? I'm addictive personality. 
Am I eating boxes of Oreo? No, but I know when I go over the line with sugar and all that kind of stuff. So there's that. And then maybe you really do have a bigger issue and everything in between, or not, I want to say bigger or smaller. We all have our stuff, but is it a peer to peer model where there's a group of people that you're sharing this experience with on your, we do it in Facebook, in a private Facebook group, a quit sugar challenge, Facebook group, and people can comment, ask questions. There's even an option to hang out with me afterwards on zoom. And so it's really nice. It's just really, it, it's so good when you've lived with this and you've kind of been struggling with it on your own. Everybody wants to do it on their own, you know, cause they're embarrassed and they're, and they, they're shooting on themselves and saying, oh, I should be able to kick this on my home, my own. It's just sugar. It's just a donut for God's sakes. Like, why don't I just get it together? But as I said, I mean, first of all, food is so hard because you have to eat. And I, I often say, imagine you have to take the tiger out of the cage, open the door, take the tiger out, pet the kitty, and then put it back in the cage three times a day without getting your ass torn off. Like that's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to get support. It's not something you can do on your own. So stop acting like you could, you should be able to do it on your own. I, I couldn't, I still can. I get support all the time. I have peers that, that are helpful and supportive. And, and so it's just, it's a, when you have to eat three times a day, it's tricky and you have to go deeper. That's why the diet thing is so short lived because you have to go deeper and heal at a deeper level for sure. But, but yes, it's, um, I like doing, I like making things fun because that's the only way to live. That's my number one value in life is fun. (laughs) So it doesn't have to be a veil of tears at all. It's really, and you do it in a community and you you have fun and you have like fun replacements for your sugary sweet foods. I offer recipes that make like really yummy things to replace your foods that have sugar in it. it. It's not like this big experience of deprivation at all. That's great. So you change your paradigm and you should, it sounds like you get a psychic change based on going through your programs and this way you live life free. It's not saying it's not there, but you have the tools that you provide totally to do self-care and work for your highest good. Yeah. Children's program. If you ever do, let's get you back on podcast. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) And if you ever work work with children or something, that's another topic. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. This Uh, is thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my total honor. And I hope you listeners, I hope you enjoyed Trisha today. I know I did. And again, please share, listen again, if you want to check out Trisha's work. It's important. Check out my work on grief recovery. There's a lot of grief going on. I know when I give up sugar, which I know would be my future, I will have some grieving happening. <laughs> yes, there is grief. There is grief involved in giving up the things you've depended on your whole life to get you by. Yeah. And I enjoy the hell out of it <laughs> in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but it's short lived, but I want to enjoy a full life, bodied life too, for, for many, many decades, more decades. Amen. So, anyways, thank you everybody for being on. And again, Trisha, you're awesome. And. Aww. Bye, everybody. Make it a great day. Peace, love, harmony. We're here for you. You're not alone. We'll talk to you soon. We're all on on all the podcast platforms. Bye. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? 
It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.